Glad you're stopping by and checking out this episode of the podcast. Support for today's episode comes from Paragus Northwoods Company, located in Ely, Minnesota. Hello, this is Ted Bell with North Star Canoes. I am the president of North Star Canoes Incorporated, uh, former president of Bell Canoe Works, and have um, about 40 years of canoe manufacturing under my belt. I have been uh, happily involved with Paragus Northwoods Outfitters and Steve Paragus up in Ely since the late 80s when I started building Bell Canoes. Steve and I have been good friends. He's a phenomenal supporter of the Boundary Waters, great person for resources of for trips, where to go. He sells our canoes nationwide and somehow delivers canoes from Florida to California. I don't know how he does it. Steve and his wife, Nancy, joined our company on the Rio Grande River last February on an eight-day, 85-mile wilderness adventure trip. We're really pleased to uh, have Paragus Northwoods Outfitters selling our product. They do a wonderful job representing our product as well as other companies. We are uh, proud to support Paragus Northwoods Outfitters, the Boundary Waters, in this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 28 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Today I am talking with Joe from a safe distance, over the phone, coming to you guys to talk about our favorite subject, the wilderness. It's a little bit different, Matthew. Uh, This is our first one where I'm not looking right across from you and we usually have a huge grin in our face I, well i st- i still have mine i i, <laughs> I don't know well, about you you can but. hear mine i hope <laughs> you know it is it's a real wild time of uncertainty in the world right now joe and it's a time that really does uh, almost every day require us to embrace some new way of living and this uh podcast is no exception to that I think that's a very accurate uh, summary and way to way to just get right to it, Matthew. You know, uh, from I mean, this is just nothing in the scale of of what people are going through. The fact that you and I have to do our our podcast opening uh, recording here differently, you know, but uh, it's something that definitely we're feeling. And and I think you know we've been getting some questions from the paddling community. We know there's just a lot of uncertainty here now. It's April, Matthew. Uh, typically, this is when canoes are getting polished. You know, new license uh, registration, putting putting that sticker on the canoe and getting all excited to go out, but things are are just uh, not quite on that level. There's a there's a degree of uncertainty around the whole season at this point. 
Exactly. And I think that's why it's important to us, Joe, today on the podcast to do a couple of things. And and that is, number one, to bring to our paddling community the stories that we always do, which are stories from the wilderness and stories that hopefully inspire and bring us there. Um, And we're going to do that today. But before we do, um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, how we're going to try to keep the community updated uh, over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, so our plan, Matthew, uh, here is to release shorter tracks. This is something we've done over the over the past here, several years now it's been with the podcast, just shorter tracks. These are going to be a little bit different in the sense they'll be almost uh, news-driven from officials with uh, the Superior National Forest, the Boundary Waters, the Gunflint Ranger District. Uh, we'll be speaking with people in Tofty. We can connect uh, with some rangers in Ely. But the, the main connection that we want to get out, the main information on these short tracks is, will recreation, particularly overnight recreation, be allowed in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in the 2020 paddling season? That's a, a looming question, and we will be finding that out doing interviews and sharing those as audio with the actual Gunflint District Ranger, most specifically his name's Mike Cruteau. Uh, you can expect that here on the on the podcast uh, as an independent track, Matthew. It'll be, you know, you'd listen to it just as you're listening to this episode, but also uh, it'll just be a standalone uh, piece of information. So look for that here in the coming you know weeks, and it'll be archived just like the episodes are. And also we are planning to speak with officials in Quetico, Provincial Park to find out the information on their paddling season and entering from the U.S. places like Cache Bay, Prairie Portage, uh, over on the the west side of the Boundary Waters. So that's information we'll also be sharing. Two separate interviews that we're planning here to do on the podcast. Exactly. I think it's uh, worth noting that at this moment in time, when we're when we're speaking to each other, that a lot of those questions are pure speculation at this point. Um, and we're watching trends, and that's why we're going to go straight to the people who make those decisions or are part of that decision-making process and bring that to you folks, our listeners. Um, so stay tuned for that. I think it's uh, also just as important right now that uh, we all get to continue to hear and tell our stories from the wilderness. And uh, as you're sitting at home and uh, in whatever form that you have to isolate yourself, um, we want to encourage you to send us your stories uh, so that we can continue to share those uh, however this season unfolds. And today we're, we're talking to a couple of people. Uh, one is a, a good friend, John Oberholzer, who has been traveling in the wilderness for many years, and he talks with us about sort of his evolution of travel, uh, and that is travel across all seasons in the wilderness and his experiences of, um, of developing his own relationship with the wilderness and with his family eventually. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, opens up the episode, Matthew, and, and later, too, we're going to hear from uh, host Chelsea Lloyd's friend, Rachel Romnick, and she is... Uh, a friend of of the podcast as well, actually, Matthew, uh, Rachel, and and Chelsea, and I, and and you, and a, actually a whole a team of us went up uh, after the Gunflint Mail Run, where we started episode our season three, episode one of season three, if you will, Matthew, uh, was with Rachel. We went up. Actually, the recording, uh, come to think of it, 
wasn't uh, necessarily even on the podcast. This will be Rachel's official debut on the podcast. Chelsea interviews her uh, not long after the mail run the next day. And it's a really, it's a remarkable story, Matthew. Uh, Rachel is uh, vision impaired and and, uh, tells it like it is. It's really kind of the the focus of their conversation and how that's impacted uh, recreation for her. And, and life for her, for that matter, but uh, specific to her travel in the Boundary Waters, a place that, that she loves, and including she talks a little bit about her first winter trip up uh, in January here in 2020. So it's a, it's a compelling, it's a, it's a great uh, discussion here and really appropriate just for this time where people are slowing down mm-hmm. and, and uh, really able to, to sit back and, and hear some stories and, and really hear the words. And I think uh, this this episode's particularly important in that regard. Well, I'm really excited to hear it, Joe. Why don't we dive right on in? All right, let's hear your conversation with John. It is my pleasure to welcome to the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast, John Oberholzer. Welcome, John. Hi, Matthew. Thanks for having me. John is a virtually a lifelong traveler of the Boundary Waters, and not just in the summertime, but uh, all year long. Is that safe to say, John? Yep, definitely. So before we dive into some of your um, personal experiences in the Boundary Waters, um, you've lived up here for a long time. How did you get your start in canoe country? So I was a what I refer to as a church camper. You know, I grew up in a suburb of Chicago, and... uh, went on a uh, uh, community church group that was going through Sablo Canoe Outfitters for several years, and my mom thought it was something I should do, and I wasn't that interested, frankly, because the church youth group wasn't really all that exciting, but I went and saw a slideshow, and it looked kind of cool, and so I went up and went on a trip through Sawbill and then ended up really falling in love and getting a job up there, and um, sort of the rest was history for me. That was in the mid-'80s. So how old were you on your first trip? Well, I was probably, let's see, I think I was 15. Yeah, 15. That's when it started for you. Totally. Yeah. So you have 15 and you've accumulated years of experience paddling and being in the Boundary Waters. Um, What do you remember about your first trip? Oh, wow. Um, You know, those those were back in the days when you'd have 10 people. And so we'd have, you know, eight suburban kids from Chicago plus two adults. And, um, you know, I have an amazing first memory from that trip. We were coming down um, from Cherokee back into Sawbill, and the idea was to stay on smoke. And um, I was with this college-age woman. She was the adult. I forget, Mary, Mary McAfee, it doesn't matter what her name was. <laughs> she says someone from Chicago. And we were lagging behind a little bit. And you'd have to look at a map to see this, but... On the north end of Sawbill, our whole group had gone further south, and we were on the north end of Sawbill, and she looked at the map, and she said, why don't we take this little creek that goes from the north end of Sawbill to smoke? And, I, you know, I didn't know any better, and she, frankly, didn't really know any better. And we took it, and there was, it got really narrow, and there was little beaver dams. And to this day, I look back at that, and I can't believe that she made that decision because, you know, most of us now know those little smallest creeks, they can go nowhere. Well, it worked great. And we came into smoke like just before the group did. And they came in, they were like, where did you guys come from? <laughs> and it, and it, that was a, like a really first awesome memory of like, you know, the flexibleness of the wilderness, the sort of, you know, you know, later I've done a lot, a lot of bushwhacking and kind of going off trail. And it was like, 
it was awesome to think back on that. I mean, at the time, I just thought, oh, that, that, that worked out. But as I got more experience, I thought, that was amazing, you know. That it actually, you were successful. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, you know, you think back to that, those first trips, you obviously have some very tangible memories. Um, being with friends, I imagine, um, having some adventures. When did, you know, when did those trips, when did it become your trips? Like, when did you make that step of your trips into the Boundary Waters versus the youth group or the guided sort of, you know, thing? I would say, I would, that's a good question. I would say pretty much the second summer. So I, so I really fell in love with it, like big time that first summer. And then the next year I did that church youth group trip. I did a trip through my high school. My high school had this thing called Outdoor Ed or something that was had some canoeing to it, and she took people up to the Gunflint. So those two trips were on the books, but then th- three buddies, we just decided, hey, let's just go on our own trip. And at the end of the year, the third trip was us. We were 16 years old, and we drove up from Chicago. We ended at Gunflint. I remember we got there like at 5 in the morning and kind of thought we might be able to get our canoe, and some cook gave us a look like no. <laughs> and then we took a trip on the Granite River, and it was just mm-hmm. us four guys. And then so 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 from there then, after that, it's pretty much just been my 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 own trips. I never really was on a youth trip again, I don't think, after that. So um, when I remember my first canoe trip without adults. It was 15 uh, in Wisconsin. And, and we, you know, we encountered lots of crazy things, and it was just me and a buddy, and you know, things that I never would have thought I would have the faculties to get through. You know, I learned how to get through. Yeah. Did, did you have that experience at that younger age, you know, 16, 17 going in? Yes. I mean, there was, <laughs> you know, on that first trip, I remember we tried to skip a portage. And so we got kind of, well, we tried to skip a couple of portages. So we had to run, one time we were trying to run some rapids and that kind of dinged ourselves up and the canoe up a little bit. Your little capsize action going on there? One John? time we did, <laughs> yep. And then uh, on that on that trip too, we, we sort of were off on this little creek way away from the portage. And I remember that we saw this very submerged really old boat and now when i think back on it it was just a, a skin boat you know kind of a wooden canvas boat not a canoe but a, a, a decking boat like that like a rowboat or something but it was old and to us you know 16 year olds we thought it was really old and i'm sure it was kind of oldish but it, it was cool because it sort of tuned me into a little bit of like the history there's been people here before and it was fun to see i don't know if that answered your question exactly but it was sort of a memory but you know it we we developed a lot of i think independence in that very first trip right you know yeah that's a powerful experience i think totally just making it up yourself realizing like this is all on us yeah and when you make mistakes um it's it's you just have to get out of it you have to fix it or you have to find a solution and yes nobody's gonna bail you out and you can't call for help and i'm remembering a great mistake so my one friend jim he got his sleeping bag wet like I'm finding that capsize thing. <laughs> That's where and he it spent all day long carefully drying it out, you know, in the sunny spot, flipping it a lot and everything. And then a wind came and blew it back in the lake <laughs> <laughs> right before. And so, you know, he was just really bummed about it. But I think it, all, it gave us all a notion of like, you got to be super attentive, you know, to what you're doing. Right. Uh, also, side note, um, that boat, that was the Granite River trip? Yes. It's still there. Oh really? I was uh, went up the Granite River uh, early in spring this year, and I saw it submerged in some water. Yep, it's still sitting there. Oh, we'll have to look at the map. I'm, it must be the same place. I'm sure. I do have some video of it. I, oh, I'd love it, to see that. See if it's the same one. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, 
very formative experiences developing your own relationship with the wilderness and canoeing. Um, so when you think about wait, you know, back to those first trips to to now, what um, what are some of the the real highlights that stick out to you? Well, um, I mean, the the trips have changed so much now. You know, like um, so now they feel different. That you know, now I go into those places because I've had so many trips from because I worked so long at Sabo, which we can touch base on here in a little bit. Um, that the you know the the those lakes and places hold so many memories, things I don't even think of until I get out there. Mm. So there's this sort of traveling now evokes these all these past trips and friendships and ideas. So it's changed a little bit that way, whereas in the beginning, it was this real sense of sort of adventure and exploration um, that feels a little less so now. Now it's more about sort of, you know, sort of more intimate uh, observations of wilderness and things like that that are stimulating and exciting to me. Whereas back then, it was kind of like really, really route finding and where are we and how do we deal with, you know, whatever uh, hurdle is coming at us, whether it's weather or whatever. And now it feels... Um, it's changed and now it's about exposing it to my kids and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I want to get to that sort of experience of passing it on to your kids, but let's, before we get there, there's a lot in between. Yeah. Uh, you know, those, so you brought up, uh, Sawbill. Yeah. And that was an important time for you. Yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So, so, you know, the wilderness thing, you know, my mom, was pointing me towards wilderness because she wanted me to get a little religion. Like I mentioned, the community mm. church thing, and I always joke with an her. agenda. She, yeah. I think, she did have kind of an agenda, and I always joke with her. I'm like, I got my religion, you know, and it was in, <laughs> in the wilderness, right? Mm. So it did have a, a huge impact on me. In fact, it pointed me towards getting more wilderness in my life. That's why I went to school out in Missoula, and then I wanted to get a, you know, a job if I could. So I luckily was able to get a job at Sawbill, and that was super formative for me because we were right on the edge of the wilderness. And um, the Hansons were great people, and they became like family members to me. And they had a great outlook of, on the wilderness and how to appreciate it. And and uh, low impact camping was really important to them, et cetera, and how to respect the wilderness. So that stuff was all super formative for me. And they were real generous with allowing us to get out there. They wanted us to get out there and know more about the wilderness so we could share it with customers. So um, a lot of trips back in those days for sure, and cool stuff like we. Uh, like one year, this is back, this dates me a little bit, but back in the years of Reagan, when they wanted to sort of privatize things, they were trying to privatize some of the um, uh, portage work. So that we, and we ended up picking up a couple of contracts. So in addition to just our outfitting, we'd go out and we'd do the privy work and trail work. And God, we love that. It was so fun to be out there doing that stuff. The fact that you love it says you're in the right place. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah. you're maintaining campsites and portages using hand tools yeah all yeah, that stuff yeah we had a few years of that and then that program kind of went away or we didn't get the contract anymore and they went back to just sort of doing it the way they've always done it but yeah we love doing it we had a lot of fun doing it. i mean people just think it sounds crazy like digging a privy hole why, why was that fun it was just a great challenge you know, yes you know dig a really big deep privy hole and you know go there uh, a couple of seasons later and see like it was still there yeah, not awesome. full yet yeah right yeah totally yeah <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I, I'm remembering from some of our previous conversations that you and I have had about um, bushwhacking. Yeah, um, and that's not something that I think most people think about doing when they're in the wilderness. Was that in, during your time at Sawbill? Yeah, a lot of those were, and then but after two, 
I haven't done too much bushwhacking since the blowdown, frankly. Um, but some actually, we did a trip fairly recently. We did a little bit of. There, there's a few trips there where, like, literally, there was days of bushwhacking. Now it's kind of like we'll look at the map and be like, "Hey, let's just go in these couple lakes and do a little bushwhack." Okay, so is that how it starts? Because I'm, um, you know, I'm trying to imagine you know, what motivates somebody to to just start. It's tromping start- through the woods. So you you saw a lake on the map, and you yeah. said, "I want to know what that is." Where no, it, start, it starts more like it's a it's a mapping thing. It's like a winter time. You're looking at maps, or you're just looking at map. You're just like, what, "What's the deal with that lake?" Like one up by Sawbill is called Bardo. So Bardo is just in the middle of the. It's in the middle of the Laos River and the Lady Chain Loop, mm-hmm. and it's just like it sort of sits out there, and you're just like, "What the heck?" And in fact, they they thought about making a route into it. This this is a funny story that some people locally might know about, but. They were thinking about making a ride into it, and a couple of wilderness rangers went in there and actually developed some campsites and stuff, and then they abandoned it. So oh. there's this there's this grate. Like when I went there, and no, this is quite a while ago, but there's this fire grate, and a tamarack was growing through it, like a significant tamarack. <laughs> so all that's probably still sitting there, but it was a bushwhack to get in there. They never developed any portages. Um, so we would just, you know, it definitely develops from just looking at the map and saying, hey, you know, let's go to John Eck Lake or, you know, some of those lakes that are just off the, off the route. And... Um, we we did a lot of that for a while. It's fun, you know, because you just know it's totally empty. There's just no one around you. So motivated in significant part by curiosity. Yeah. Just raw curiosity. Yeah. But I also imagine a lot of confidence, too. I mean, to go into the woods in the middle of the wilderness and feel like, yeah, I know how to get through this and I won't get lost. And, yeah. you know, what were the, what what skills did you have that made you confident enough to do that? Yeah. Because I also, you know, don't want anybody to just feel that curiosity and not have those skills and yeah. hear this and start running into the wilderness. Yeah, right on. And in fact, there's even like you're supposed to sort of get special use permits, I think. And we did that. Um, and I, I don't even know how that's really working these days. Because mo- like I say, now I don't really go sleep when I do that. I just kind of go in and out. But uh, I think the confidence comes from years of looking at a map, getting good at route finding, getting good with orientation. and Reading the contour lines. Yeah, and the contour lines, landscape. especially in this country. But then, you know, a compass for sure. But I think another thing that I'm sure you're in touch with is like the more trips you get under your belt, sort of that, sort of having that comfort with discomfort. So like <laughs> if you're on the bushwhack and it's wicked wet and all of a sudden it just starts raining and you're not even really sure like how much further we got to go and the bugs are really bad. I mean, that can seem like a nightmare and getting, getting in touch with like knowing that that's, there's going to be an end point and you're going to get dry eventually and you're going to get to the tent and knowing like what that feels like. Once you've been through that tough thing is, uh, that just comes from experience, I think. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. And because I feel like, um, that applies to almost every level of going into the wilderness. If it's your, you know, your first time yeah. or you're, or, or even if you're just are traveling the, the normal routes, you have to know like, okay, this portage is really hard and maybe my body hurts, but I'm going to get to the end of it. And right. So you're supplying all of those same sort of mental, uh, tricks yep. to something that maybe is a little less common. Yes, totally. And uh, what I think also, the more I've sort of been thinking about things that stimulate me in my life is I think one of the great things about wilderness is, especially like when you're bushwhacking and route finding it, is you're not really anywhere else. I mean, you're not doing the monkey brain thing and thinking about other things. I mean, you're pretty, you know, you're on top of that task mm-hmm. and that's lovely you know i mean i really like that and that there's not you know, i'm gonna be thinking about taxes or whatever you know yeah i'm gonna be thinking about finding the route where we are getting through that moment and also enjoying it like 
I've had some great moments on bushwhacks where you're just like, whoa, look at this white pine. You know, who right. has seen this thing? <laughs> yeah. This in the middle of nowhere. And, and digging that and stopping and reflecting, is, it feels really fun. Yeah. Um, Lindsay and I did a small amount of bushwhacking up on the Granite River area um, near that um, first campsite when you headed north from uh, Gunflint. Okay. And, uh, you know, we were on just a short weekend trip, and we found the most incredible ravine that was in no, I mean, it was in no way visible from the main route in the lake, but you go a little bit, the water just disappears and you can hear a waterfall. Oh, cool. So if you get out and you just do a little, you know, scrambling around and go, you know, a little further away, you notice that this, you know, that hole disappears into a beautiful ravine that just like goes into a whole nother portion of the wilderness that may rarely get seen. Beautiful. And I think that's, that to me, there's also an element of, of like, when was the last time somebody stood here? Yes. When was the last time somebody saw this? Yes. That That's a weird feeling. It's hard to explain. Yeah. And it's hard to explain, but it's really tangible when you're feeling it and you're in that spot. Like, I mean, people sort of say, and I think the boundary artist gets a little bit of a rap sometime of, you know, so busy and you're going to see so many people, you know, step off the canoe route. Yes. And as and as you say, like maybe it's not for everyone, and be careful the first time you do it. You don't want to get lost, but go off the canoe route. It doesn't have to be an overnighter. Just go off a couple of lakes, and it's just empty. You're not going to see anything. You're right. not going to see like canoe marks on the rocks or anything. Yeah. I just was on a trip with the kids. We can touch base on this later, but we went to Flame because we thought it'd be fun out of smoke, and it's Dead End Lake, just the one campsite. And then we just took off north through, through some marshes that we could see. It was awesome. I mean, it was so beautiful, and the kids were just jiving on it. And, you know, I don't think anyone's – we probably went about a mile north. I mean, I can't imagine why anyone would have been up there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, probably someone has. It's naive to think no one has, but not many for mm-hmm. sure. What was their reaction to that? You know, like, I, what, did you initiate that? Did they? Was so it I, was, like... I was with two of them. So I was with Graham and Grace. And, uh, uh, you know, of my kids – and. And Hazel, too. Sai is maybe not as into it, but we'll see where that goes. But uh, Hazel and Graham, my kids are really into it. And Grace is really, she's my niece, are really into it. So that was with Grace and Graham. And they're kind of a no-brainer. I mean, they're just like, yes, of course we're going to go bushwhacking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they love it. And they're really into it. So they're, but they're, ex- more specifically, their experiences, they were definitely picking up on, like, the fact that this was off the route and that this was probably less visited and that there was a sense of discovery. Um, so they're digging it. Yeah. Yeah. And and you didn't have to explain that to them. No. They I mean, yes, I'm sort of those kid trips, you know, I am kind of this I'm trying not to be too heavy handed or too guiding the adventure too much, but I'm sort of giving them little bits that get them that then then I think they can kinda of run with in their brain. We'll see where it all goes with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that's sort of the grand experiment of parenting, right? Yes. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's it sort of on a microcosm out there. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's, you know, and I want to go back to some of the other stuff in your personal experiences, but while we're on the topic, yeah. you know, how, how, has, how has it changed for you being in that father role? There's a lot of dads out there that they go to the wilderness with their friends, and that's an opportunity to get away yeah. from, you know, sort of family stressors and responsibilities. Um, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you got to carve out that time. Yeah. How is it for you? Do you do that? Do you 
Is it yes. all about the kids? Both? Let me, let's just pick one and go. Yeah, right. It, that's a really good point. I mean, it's different than my buddy trips for sure. So when they were little, there was a lot of management. Like my first true kid trip was with Lyndon, my nephew, seven, Hazel, five, and Cy, three. I went alone. <laughs> and it was like, and I swore when I got back from that, like, hey, super cool. I got great memories from that now, especially. But when I first got back from that, if you had known me and people around me, I was just like, I'm not doing that again. It was too much because I was nervous a lot, especially Cy at three. I mean, that was a lot of management, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, stumbling over stuff. Mm-hmm. So Eating rocks and stuff like that. Right on. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So um, those trips when they were little, they, they felt like a lot of work. Because you're a you're doing everything and you're also managing and watching out for them and you're a little nervous like mm-hmm. especially when I was alone with them I was pretty nervous like what if one of these guys like falls in the fire or whatever so but the, but but it's lovely all the same it's just a different vibe than when I go with my buddies and now when I go with them as they become teens and they're becoming stronger and um, more into it what I'm what I'm finding out is um, again it's way different than my my guy trips or buddy trips. Um, but it's becoming closer to those. And what I've found is that sometimes I want, like in my parenting life, I want to you know, be doing the discipline and make, hey, you should do the dishes right now and blah, blah. But I've learned to kind of let that go in the wilderness. And it's just a few days. It's not going to spoil them. And I'm, I'm trying, they'll, they'll, they'll maybe hear this and I wonder if they'll agree, but I'm trying to like- <laughs> We'll ask them. Not do that as that kind of thing as much. And, and I don't know if I'm being clear, but like I just, I don't want them to, I want it to be easy and relaxed when we're out there because I want that experience to be fun and easy going for them. And so I, like for instance, this last trip we did this summer is I did a lot of the cooking. I was ending up doing a lot of the dishes. I mean, Hazley would, would, would pitch in, but it was sort of like, it was in a way, it was like a privilege. It was just, it was good to be out there. It was way better than being back, you know, in the work of the day life. <laughs> and, yes. And it was sweet to be with them. And so um, it was, it was a privilege just to be sort of doing it and out there with them. So I try to keep it pre-relaxed yeah, and not drive too much. Like I'm a traveler. Like I, I you know, I want to wake up every morning and go do something. Well, we pushed up to Cherokee and they like loved our campsite. And they're like, just, let's just stay here. <laughs> and so I just like dropped my end of the rope. I'm like, that's fine. I mean, a few times I was like, are you sure you don't want to go here? This is this really cool campsite over at this mm-hmm. lake. But, um, so I just try to roll a little more with what they want to do and, and if I read between the lines in what you're saying, it sounds like the goal is you just want it to be as enjoyable and special for them as possible. So you're doing uh, a lot of this, uh, kind of almost like guide work. You're taking care of like the, the not-as-fun chores and trying to give them as much autonomy over what you do as a group and choices around where you stay and where you go because you want them to have the best of parts of the experience is that accurate yes that's totally accurate i never thought about the guiding part because i've never done any guiding we, we didn't do that at sabo but i think that's probably what it feels like to be a guide like you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there is this sort of like i mean like you just i was I, I like basically wake up and i feel like i'm working the whole day doing <laughs> stuff but um but yeah i think that's that's a pretty accurate depiction of it so um have any of them uh you know i want to i want to hear you talk about passing that on i'm remembering your experience um, going by yourself at 16, have any of your kids taken that step? Uh, I know, you know, Hazel's 16, 16 now. Yeah. So is she talking about that or is she, you know, is that kind of like the thing I do with dad? No, no, she's into it. I mean, she wants to do trips for sure. So I think that that's going to be something in her life. 
that's going to come together more. I mean, she's been a big time Minogen paddler and is doing less of that now. Um, but I, I can see her for sure taking off and doing trips with friends. They, she's done some overnight stuff actually with friends already, but this summer we'll see. I bet she'll, she'll do some stuff. But she actually loves, yeah, she also sees it as like a thing with that. I mean, she's always trying to bend my arm of a, to go out and do a big long backpacking trip. And if, you know, if time wasn't an issue and work and all that stuff, I'd be right all over it, but we haven't made that happen yet. So, and Graham, I'm, you know, again, the I'm not really sure where he'll go with some of this, but, but Graham's only 11. So we'll see, but, uh, he loves it. He's way into it. That's awesome. Uh, and it doesn't sound like you're pushing this, like, uh, you know, Cy, for example, maybe, maybe he's into other things right now and, yeah, and you're not bent, bent up about that no, no i'm not i mean ideally everyone would just fall in love with it like me but I'm, <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned enough as a parent like you just gotta let them go their own way i mean i just want to i want to expose it to them if they're into it that's cool yeah so that's sort of kind of the full circle for you um but there's a really cool i mean i know there's more stories that yeah. than we have time for for you to share but this element of um year-round travel yeah i wanted to hear from you about because you've had some really cool experiences out there that aren't in the summer yeah and more specifically in the winter yeah um where do you want to start with that um well so you know some winter camping for sure one of my earliest winter camping trips was with bill we had bill hansen who owns saw bill you know we had a tradition of coming back at new year's crew members could come back and one New Year's, we came back and he had a, a wall tent essentially set up on the north end of Sawbill and uh, north end of Alton on that really cool site. And me and another crew member and him, and then Adam, his son, who was like five at the time, six maybe, it doesn't matter. Um, we went up there. And so that was a very, that was my very first time, I think, winter camping in the Boundary Waters. And that was really formative and fun. But Dave Freeman, you know, who I think listeners know about, Dave and Amy, um, I've done some stuff with Dave even before he got going with Wilderness Classroom. Um, and so I've learned a lot from him. In the um, winter context. Yeah, yeah. So the, so a lot of good winter camping trips that have just been a heck of a lot of fun. So tents with stoves and mm-hmm. going and, and traveling each day when we can. But, you know, the the super cool thing that we would watch extremely closely at Sawbill, Bill and I especially, and Cindy was way into it, and the kids too up there, um, was the ice skating. I mean, that was we were just, we were on it and watching very closely. And, and then when the ice skating was good, we would drop work like a hot potato and, and go skate. Yeah. And this is a thing, John. Yeah. To and explain what you mean by watching, you know, what for, for folks who aren't up here that time of year, maybe somebody listening from, you know, down South, explain that. So the, so the skating thing is super ephemeral, like in most places. I mean, it's so like wild skating. That's what I kind of refer to a wild lake skating. It's brief. I mean, because the snow is going to come and wreck it and then you're not going to have it anymore. So it's this balance between like, when is it thick enough? Right. So you have to watch it closely. And so we've skated on some stuff over the years, especially when I was younger and more hot into just, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit. Um, that was really thin. I remember one time skating behind Bill and like watching it sag below his weight. (laughs) So, but we love the black ice, right? I mean, that's what we, that's what you really are craving that really glassy black ice. So you can see down, you can see fish, you can see, you know, the bottom of the lake. It's so gorgeous. And just, and how free it is to to be able to explore on black ice that we would just watch that very attentively. And then we'd go out and drill holes and just make sure that as you know, time went on, we got really careful about knowing how much would hold us. 
And so we'd watch any lake that we could. Like in those days, I was driving back and forth a lot between Sawbill and Grand Maria where I had a rental. And so I'd drive the grade road home. And there's tons of lakes in the grade. And so we'd watch them closely because not everything sets up the same way. Yeah, because you had very significantly different temperatures at times between close to shore and, and totally. that far inland. And so different lakes can set at different times, sizes. Yeah. Large yeah. lakes, small lakes. Yeah, exactly. Like there's that pond. There's a pond on the grade where the grade road arcs along it for a long time. That was one of the first things that would always set up first, and we could skate on that. And, and skating on ponds is really fun because it's shallow, so you can see a lot of stuff. It's just skating along. So that was just a big thing in our lives. You know, Bill was really into skating, and I was spending time up there, and I was, you know, I, I kind of got on board with that. My my skating thing. I'll, I'll give you this brief anecdote. My, my sort of when I think back on, on like wild skating was I was a rink rat growing up in a suburb of Chicago. We, we would play hockey and stuff and we do, we do some pond hockey like in, in golf courses and stuff. We'd go try to find a pond or whatever. And so I had this notion of like, it was kind of fun to find places beyond the rink. Well, one time there was this huge ice storm that happened. I mean, like everything got co- covered in a quarter inch of ice and I'll just never forget it. We were on the rink and we were looking at like these baseball parks pathways and stuff that was like this part of this like suburban park you can picture these pathways and stuff it's down in chicago yeah they're all in the suburb where i grew up they're all covered in a quarter of inch of ice and we just like leapt out from the rink and started skating around on these sidewalks <laughs> and paths i mean like next thing we knew we found ourselves like a quarter mile away and we were ice skating on this like thick layer of, of wow. rainy ice that come in that seriously man that like that got into my brain because that was before i even got up here at all or really into wild country but it always stuck with me this notion of like to travel on skates, to like to like see skates as a way of getting around, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, and that like started really early, and so um, to fly right on, it, yeah. but, but but to know like oh like I could use these skates and could I could go a few portages or whatever, you know I mean like that that was super exciting idea for me, and um, so we pursued it pretty aggressively every year we just watch really closely and some days we get 10 days in you know some years we get 10 days in and sometimes it'd be like one or two and sometimes it just wouldn't set up well at all but usually if we watch closely we get some lake skating in every year you told me uh, a little uh, bit about skating deep into wilderness and wild skating uh on sort of spontaneously yeah out on the west end of Brule. Yeah. Can can you share that with us? Yeah, that was that was a nutty thing and just it's just it's such a great memory. So a group we had heard that Brule had set up pretty good for skating. So kind of a big group. Um and, and a big lake. Yeah, big lake for sure. Uh, kind of a big group had gone out there and we were skating around and enjoying it. And then three of us just peeled off. Ray White, Sue Abrahamson, and myself. And we're all buddies, but it's not like we're like we weren't like best buddies at the time. We were just the three who I thought like said to ourselves let's keep going and so we uh we took off west on Brule and uh we ended up portaging the 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 route that goes not through the temperances but sort of um gaskin and that way up into town i think but that that alternative way from the west end of Brule to get to cherokee and so there's like those three or four little lakes and I had the click on and click off blades, but they had hockey skates. So at each portage, we had oh, to like no. unlace and put on their shoes and walk over. Well, man, like the next thing we knew, I'll never forget the spot. When I paddle by it, I always remember we're having lunch like on the north side of Cherokee Lake <laughs> and just like pinching ourselves, like, how is this working out so well? And I forget who said it, but someone said, like, we should try to skate down to Sawbill. <laughs> yeah. And so 
<clears throat> we skated. We had to pick our way through, across a couple. Uh, there was some open water spots on Cherokee. There was one spot that was a little dicey. We kind of had to crawl around the shore a little bit, but we got past it and then um, got back into good ice. And then if you can picture on the map, there's Cherokee Creek. I mean, that's just, yep. a, you know, that's like a little river. And so we were really mindful about that because, you know, there's running water. Yeah, so running water, it could be bad ice, but the ice was perfect. Oh. And then there's just, so those portages then, if you kind of picture those portages south of Cherokee Creek, um, we didn't take any of those. We just took the waterways back in there. No, one of those portages we had to take. But if you look on the map, there's a few places where we were actually ice skating. And if like you go out there now, it's like not more than like five feet. These are just those kind of little waterways. Yep. You can sometimes skip a portage and go through with your canoe or not. And um, little beaver dams and... One place I think one of us stuck our foot through, but that was sort of the worst that happened to me. And the next thing I knew, like at dusk, we're like showing up at Sawbill. <laughs> I mean, just skate. You like I'm sure you like see the lights of Sawbill. Yeah, you know, coming on yeah. as you're skating south towards the the entry point. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, how surreal was that? It was really the, the whole thing felt very bizarre. Sort of like. Like time outside of time, almost like, you know, sort of in your brain, like, how is this even really working? And kind of like waiting for the air shoe to drop, like, this isn't going to work. Like, somehow something bad is going to happen. One of us is going to fall through, or we're going to have to turn back or something. And the, the worst thing that ever happened that day, and uh, if I'm remembering this right, is Sue had a skate that like wasn't actually working right. And she never even like said it to us until like we were almost back. And she's like, yeah, it's been kind of pesky this one skate i have to kind of skate on one way <laughs> she's just was sort of tough about it you know yeah <laughs> that was the only thing that really went wrong and she was she was still able to use it just fine so and that she kept up just oh she, yeah kept up just fine totally but we just were like you know i i, I don't know if i'd even do that today <laughs> like i think i'd think like no this just seems too crazy like i'm not gonna it's do too that far what if we too risky what if whatever. we run into open water right I don't know what made the three of us do that that day, but it was awesome. And it was big. I mean, that was a big I mean, that was a number of miles. It was really, really fun. Right. And just the spontaneity of it was so fun. I think skating is that way. It is very spontaneous. Well, I mean, you ha- I mean, as, as I'm learning from this year, yeah. uh, John let me a, a pair of uh, click-on skates that yeah. go onto my cross-country ski boots. You know, and you know, if I wasn't willing to leave work on the, you know, when it lakes were set up like i wasn't going to get to skate yeah it's so true like like seagull i guess did set up pretty good and i like just this year for instance and and i just had some work and some kids stuff to do and i couldn't run up there and do it and so but back in those days when i didn't have kids and i was working for the hansons who prioritized skating and didn't care if you knocked off work we got a lot of skating in yes (laughs) (laughs) you know because we could we could just we were so flexible yeah to be able to do it so uh I mean, have you, do you ever, I don't know how many miles that is, but I mean, that's something, some people do that in a weekend canoe route, or multi, you know, like a three, three day trip. Exactly. And you guys just flew, you know, in, in a way that I think few people ever get to experience. Yeah. I mean, that's an, a way of being in the wilderness that is so incredibly unique. Yeah. And I imagine was really beautiful. Yeah, it was. And, you know, what I remember is uh, that each each lake was different, you know, because they must have set up at different times. Like one of those small lakes when we were going north out of uh, 
uh, brutal. Had a little bit of skim of snow on it. You know, most of it was black ice that day, but there was mm-hmm. a little bit of skim of snow on it, and there was those great long winter shadows. I just remember looking back at the strides, you know, just the, with those shadows of trees coming over those great str- long strides. I mean, it was just so beautiful. And and yes, it's a long ways, like you say, but that's skating. I mean, you're, you're, if you don't have a wind or anything, you can just, you can cover some ground skating, especially yeah. those, on these like long blades that I use, you know, they, they really, you can go good on them. Yeah. Can, uh, so there's, oh man, you know, there's so much here. Yeah. It's so fun to talk about. Um, so you, you, skating in the wilderness, yeah. paddling in the wilderness, winter camping, imagine snowshoes, backcountry skis, things like that. Yeah. Um, Do you ever get to, in this crazy time of life, do you ever get to just go out for you? Um, you mean like solo or just or just have sort of my own notion of the trip or what? Either one. Yeah. I mean, do, you, do you solo paddle? Do you like to I solo ha- paddle? I've done some solo uh, winter camping and, and some uh, solo canoe trips, and those are really good and nice. But I don't do too much of that now. Just, and I think it's just because, well, the family thing. It's fun if I've got time. I love going with them because I know all that's brief and they're going to be gone before I know it. So I prioritize that, and I prioritize the time with the guys that I have in my life. So um, a solo, the solo thing hasn't been sort of a number one priority for me as much, even though the ones I've gone on have been really, really enriching and like totally felt a whole different mind state big time. Oh yeah, because <laughs> yeah, the other ones are social. You know, as much as the the wilderness is beautiful and there's cool things you're going to look at and learn about. And that to me is really neat. They still are at, at some level social. You're interacting, you're catching up, you're talking about sort of human stuff. But the solo trips, you definitely, you sort of, you do feel like you're tapping into something else for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, remember a time up on, uh, I was by myself on Ogishkamunsky, I think. I can't remember. But, you know, again, it was just like in the wilderness, you kind of make up your own rules. I got on that lake by myself and uh, big wind at my back. And I just, I put my pack up in the front of the canoe so it got as much wind exposure as possible. And I stood up. You know, a lot of people would think, oh, that's so dumb. You shouldn't do that. I mean, I put my life jacket on. And I stood up from with my body to catch as much wind as I could, too, and the pack. And, man, it, big time the wind was pushing me. And I just, I'll never forget that by myself, just paddling down, having that wind push behind me. It was, it was lovely. Nice memory. You told me about that, um, that trip, uh, I think, about a year ago. And one of the things, you know, that stuck out to me in, in our conversation, I think we were talking about how just the way everything slows down. Yeah. Especially when you're alone. And, yeah. you know, and there's, you know, we've talked on the podcast, and I think you and I have talked about this, about the way the brain changes in the wilderness and about how certain parts that we use so much kind of quiet down. Yeah. And other parts of our brain kind of become more perceptive. Yes. And you reflected to me a real deep sense of that. Yeah, big time. I mean, I had a couple. Of, I think I share with you that I had a couple of things happen that really shocked me, and I haven't, I haven't really duplicated those ex- ex- except when I'm on solo trips. I get a little more in touch with it, but they were like basically premonitions. Like one time, I was watching this eagle, and it was just sort of circling high above this lake, and I just had this super strong sense, like it's definitely coming down and take a fish. And like moments later, it did. And then the other one was much more prosaic. I was just tied up along a rock, floating, having lunch. And uh, I was watching this spider on a cliff face, like a big wolf spider. And um, 
there were some flies around, but not really that many. And this was a this is kind of a weird story, but it was a, a different kind of fly, not even the ones that were sort of around me. And it was, yeah, it's even hard to, to, to describe. But anyway, I just this overwhelmingly strong sense like this spider is going to get this fly, and it just happened. But I sort of knew it moments before it happened. I mm-hmm. guess I, I'm not putting words on it very well. But yeah, that trip was sort of full of little moments like that. And I, later, I was just like, okay, I feel like I was tapping into something. And but I sort of left that for another time. Like I haven't, yeah. <laughs> I haven't gotten back to figure that out really. Yeah, you know, and you and I have kind of theorized about, oh, what what could that be? And you know, is that like, you know, and and you know, at one time, you know, we talked about how at one time we probably relied on those parts of our brain and our awareness and our connection with our surroundings so much more. Yeah. Uh, but they're, you know, they're part of us. Yeah. And there's few occasions where we get to sort of tune in yeah. on that level. Yeah. And you got to do that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm glad you shared that because, you know, that's, I, I'm sure other people have felt that. Yeah. And it is weird. It is, yeah. But to know that, like, that's part of our, being a human, yeah. you know, is that awareness. That's the pleasure of wilderness, I think. You know, I mean, I think that, that people, you, I mean, that we get it when we're, when we're back out in wilderness and, you know, Wilderness is, you know, you can try to define it in different ways. And, but I think, I, I love what Bill Hansen said to me once. is like, no one can really define, it's like love. No one can really define it, but you know it when you see it. Mm. And that's, you know, and when you're in wilderness, things are slowing down and you're tuning into a different vibe. And now there's like scientific proof that people who are coming out of wilderness after a week, like different things they can test have, have changed within them. And, um, I think it's like a, it's like at some level, it's like a drug for me. You know, I just mm-hmm. love, I love the way I'm feeling when I'm out there. And I'm just picturing myself right now. Just sometimes I'll just go out and just drift in the lake, even if it's a trip with buddies. Maybe, maybe I've gone out to collect the water. And now, uh, then I'll just drift for a few minutes. And it's like, you just, man, things just really yeah. <laughs> mellowing and going down. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I can't say any of it better than, than you just did. Um, and I'm just, you know, reflecting on, you know, there's so many ways to be out in the wilderness too. You know, yeah. you talk about ice skating, you talk about paddling and winter camping. You know, you and I went rock climbing on Seagull yeah, together, yeah, yeah. you know, with, with a bunch of kids. And uh, all of those things are great. And they're intrinsically in those, each of those types of experiences, something really enjoyable. Yeah. But that you just really well articulated that sort of universal, like we get out there in different ways, but we, it's all to just have that dose. I think so. I think that's totally true. I think it's like, you, I think we all kind of need a hook a yeah. little bit. So, so are you going hunting? Are you going mushroom uh, foraging? Are you going looking for, are you birding? Uh, or are you, is it a camping trip? Whatever. It's just, we need some hook that's the, that's the sort of thing that we're doing to get us out in the woods. But being out in the woods in the wilderness is, is sort of transcendent to all those things. We're tapping into something else. So that, that's at least what my experience has been sort of telling me. And I'm not even sure I can really define any of it yet. I just know how good it feels. You know? Yeah. You yeah. don't have to. Yeah. Those yeah. of us who know and I know our listeners, they know that feeling too. Yeah, for sure. I just want to thank you, John. I can't think of a better way to wrap this up. Um, but thanks for sharing your experiences. Um, I, you know, I hope to be... Uh, out there with you this season for sure. in the craziness of life again. I know yeah. we haven't been out there together in a while. Um, 
but uh, we'd love to have you back on and uh, share some of your stories again sometime. Oh, I'd love to. And thanks for having me on. It's, it's fun to talk about it. Yeah, man. Well, uh, we'll see you next time. All right, great. Remarkable uh, story there, Matthew. It's just so amazing to hear. You know, I think both you and I can relate to this directly, too, about how the Boundary Waters has shaped our life in a sense and that's definitely what uh what john was sharing and and how that has played such a role in in his development and in his life <laughs> literally his life uh and i i certainly can relate to that as well yeah you know it's it's interesting how so many of our uh like our seasonal changes are still orient to our relationship with the boundary waters and right now the the way that looks joe is this is like this is trip planning season for the Boundary Waters, uh, and even a little beyond that for for most people right now. I'm wondering, what about you, Joe? Are you going to still plan trips for this year as as if you're going to be going out there, or are you putting it on hold for now? Well, I, I think for us, Matthew, it's it's a little bit different than many of our listeners probably because we have the luxury of the you know entry points within you know, 15, 20 miles of our home. So uh, planning a trip is a, a little more flexible for us, I guess, if you will. Uh, but I'm still planning on even even in May, hopefully. I mean, I'm going to follow the, the guidelines for certain, of course, of, of what the federal recommendations are for travel in the Boundary Waters for the 2020 paddling season. But I typically get out around the fishing opener if the lakes are open, last year they weren't, so I, I went uh, on a on a lake outside the wilderness. But uh, I typically am out there at the you know May 9th this year is the fishing opener. I'd love to be in the Boundary Waters if it's allowed and if it seems right for me. Uh, as far as trips, you know I've got some things I'd like to do. I know in the fall you and I have a a, a trip we're excited about to do do some hunting and fishing on on a trip in the fall. I'm still really hoping that can happen and and uh, just. I'm I'm planning to to do my trips, but I just like the planning part of it so much that I think I'd do it even probably if I couldn't, and then I'd have my eye on 2021. Exactly, Joe. You know, I think it's it's safe to say that we're it's definitely the case that we're dealing with a pretty intense time of crisis in the world right now. And there's numerous ways that we can help ourselves uh, cope with the the stress and the grief and the loss of our routines. But one of the big ways that that we get through things like this is by finding things to look forward to. And I can't think of a better thing to look forward to than a trip to the Boundary Waters. Uh, so I'm going to be planning as if I'm going in. And if I don't, I'm just going to shift that anticipation to next season and just hold on to that because I take a lot of comfort in, um, in that idea and in looking ahead to the future. Well, I think that's a, a very accurate and, and, and reasonable and safe uh, approach to the paddling season, Matthew. I think I think where you're at is, is spot on, and hopefully uh, others are, are understanding that as well. And again, we'll be sharing more information here uh, on short tracks coming out on the podcast in the near future. But let's keep with our, our storytelling theme, Matthew. I think it's a, it's a nice uh, time to be doing that. And, and uh, as we said at the top, 
Uh, we met Chelsea's friend Rachel, our podcast host, Chelsea Lloyd, uh, and her friend Rachel were up here in January 2020 for the mail run, and we did some ice fishing uh, after that, spent some time with her. She's uh, just a delight to be around, and she's got a really a remarkable story, and, and Chelsea took some time to share that with us here. Let's listen to that now on this uh, episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined with my friend, Rachel Romnick. Rachel, for those of us who don't know you, could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rachel Romnick. Um, I'm here today with the lovely Chelsea and <laughs> to talk about the Boundary Waters. I'm um, currently a student um, studying social work in a master's program at St. Thomas, but in my time off, I love to do crazy things, crazy adventures as much as possible. Heck yeah. And so we met through my sister. You two are pretty much best friends, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and knowing my sister, I know that she does some pretty crazy hikes and adventures. And we were talking about last night, she loves to be like the person in the lead, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's pretty crazy. She likes to live life on the edge, always. Yes, she's always, always cruising. And I know you guys... <clears throat> like to do a lot of stuff around the Twin Cities too. You're very active and outdoorsy young ladies. Yes, yes. It's nice to live in the Twin Cities and live in Minneapolis, but it's definitely fun to get up here and explore around, not be around all the cars and all the busyness. Heck yeah. So one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show today, it was actually really Matthew Baxley's kind of idea. And because one of the goals of the show is to talk about many people's perspectives in terms of the, in the Boundary Waters. It's a, it's a place a lot of people can connect to and really enjoy. But um, one thing that makes your perspective really unique is that you have a visual impairment. Yeah, yeah. So in fourth grade, I was diagnosed with something called Stargardt's eye disease. Um, it's also known as a form of macular de degeneration. Um it's, I don't have any central vision at all, um, but I know what it's like to have 20-20. I grew up having 20-20 vision, and then um, I've slowly progressed to having worse vision. Um, so it's kind of cool because I know I have experienced outdoor activities um, with 20-20 vision, but now um, with my current situation, I don't have, like I said, I don't have any central vision, um, and then my peripheral vision is quite limited. Sure. Okay. Wow. So that just makes it all the more impressive because I feel like a lot of people who don't know that see you doing these activities like, you know, like I think about last summer we went and paddled down the Mississippi and that's a strong river, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember we took the canoe off the car and you just like grabbed the bow and you just went for it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, for sure. That was quite the paddle. I remember the current being very strong and us trying to get on over to the side. <laughs> <laughs> but you were a really good paddler. And so I just want to hear more about like the adventures you've had and how you experience the wilderness. Yes, for sure. So my vision is quite limiting, especially in areas that I'm not familiar with. Um, so going on a hike, that's pretty unfamiliar because it's not like I have um, muscle memory of the trail that I've been on. Um, not like my house where it's like 
five steps to the bathroom, 17 steps to the basement. It's not like something that's built into my brain. So I have to be pretty aware of my surroundings. Um, One of the biggest things is trusting the people who I'm with because um, sometimes it's a team effort and it's not something that I can do alone. Um, So it's a lot of it's a lot of trusting the people who you're with, um, especially if there's a log in the middle of the trail, knowing that um, my friends aren't going to let me just stumble over it. I think portaging was a big thing for me because I normally use um, my body to kind of um, keep my balance, yeah. um, especially if I do trip or stumble. It's pretty It's pretty common that I'm tripping here and there. So to have a canoe on your back, um, if you trip, that's kind of a big deal because it's not just going to be a graceful tumble. It's going to be, oh, the canoe goes <laughs> over. I can only imagine it hasn't happened yet, but I am prepared for the day that happens. But it's really important that I trust um, the people who I'm with and that we work as a team. Um And I know that my friends are hyper aware when I'm portaging because they understand that it could be harder to maintain my balance if I were to take a misstep or um, go a little bit off the trail. Um, One thing that's super awesome about portaging that I kind of thought about when I was um, wrapping up my trip is that the canoe will actually help you feel um, the front part of the canoe will help you feel through the woods. So if you get off the trail, the canoe will help you feel the trees ahead. So it will actually help you stay on the path, which is pretty cool. Um, I kind of compared it to how a blind person might use a cane to feel the ground. It was like a cane in the air to help me stay on the actual path. Wow, that's really cool. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was super cool. I didn't even notice it at first, but then I was like, wow, I'm actually doing kind of a good job staying on the path. Why is that? But it was actually the canoe just bouncing it off the sides a little bit. Or if I would kind of run into some branches with the canoe a little bit, I realized like, oh, okay, move it to the right a little bit more if you feel the branches on the left. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And I suppose just walking through the portage, if you had the pack on your back, would there I know like this happens to me a lot all of a sudden a tree branch will come into my face and I didn't notice it and so did was that helpful too to kind of like avoid that yes yeah that's actually a really good point like the branches um aspect of it in the brushier areas it was kind of nice to portage because then I wasn't having to um try to maneuver around a bunch of little twigs that could potentially um get me in the face yeah yeah I think the main the main part that I really want to emphasize is having faith in your team and um, making sure that your team knows you. Um, and I think everyone has those things where the boundary waters might push your limits a little bit. So knowing your limits and knowing that you can really communicate with your team and let them know like, hey, I need to stop for some water right now because everyone has their own needs um, and challenges, whether it's um, limited eyesight or... Um, feeling a little dehydrated or maybe like another physical injury. Sure. That's one thing I really admire about UH is that, like you said, everybody has their things and everybody on the trail is going to have their moments when they need something and need to take a pause. And I know for me, sometimes I just 
try to push those aside. And that's not necessarily a good thing because it could lead to something that would be detrimental for the team as a whole. Yes. So I feel like having you on adventures reminds me to the moments when I need to push through and the moments when I need to say, hey, let's just stop a minute. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's good. Like I said, it's good to know your limits because sometimes you are going to have to push yourself. But knowing that line of like, okay, I do need to stop and get a drink. And knowing that your team is going to be okay with that too. Like everyone probably needs a drink or, you know, when everyone's um, kind of giving me those instructions when we're going through the woods, like it helps everyone. So a lot of times um, my friends will say like log up ahead or step right, step left. Um, In three steps, there's a big puddle if you do want to avoid it. And when they say that out loud, really everyone benefits Yeah, and everyone can hear that. So it's like everyone is being careful. And honestly, we've kind of turned it into like a fun little game where it's like, kind of shouting out in like a funny way like step right you know like just kind of being goofy and silly or like sometimes they'll just be like duck duck you know like (laughs) just pretending and having a good time with it and I just really appreciate my team um for being being willing to like shout all that stuff out and being willing to like make it really fun even though it is an added um part of the trip but I know that something they have reported is that it doesn't even feel extra because they're so used to being around me yeah it's really it's honestly really cool to see your dynamic with your friends and with my sister and and see that in action you know see you guys working as a team I think like you said I think anybody would benefit from that yes yes I think one of the coolest things was yesterday we went out on the lake And um, it's January right now, right? (laughs) So it was pretty interesting. And we both had our cross-country skis on. And um, we were going to go ice fishing. And we had the team with us. And we had the sleds with all the gear in it with the rope. And Wit and I were pulling the sled with our skis. And it was super fun because we were working together to pull the sled and ski. And we actually got some pretty good speed going. Yeah, you guys did. That was <laughs> honestly like I could not. I took a picture of you guys from from behind when you were pulling the sled together. And I'm going to treasure that picture. Man, that was just so <laughs> there was something about it that was really cool to see that teamwork. And and you guys did. You pulled the sled really efficiently and effectively. And And I also I remember on our way back, I mean, Okay. Okay. Going back. So between (laughs) then going out to the, to the lake, we were going to go fishing on, we won't give out, give away Joe's honey hole. Um, (laughs) But we, you guys, you and Whitney, just so there wouldn't be too many people in the ice house. And also because you wanted to have a little bit more of an active adventure, went skiing past um, the lake and you encountered some slush. Yes, we did encounter some slush and that was pretty freaky because I have never skied cross country skied on a lake. So it was amazing that I had my first opportunity to cross country ski in the boundary waters like oh my goodness. That is not something I will forget anytime soon. But we ended up coming across some slush and so our skis um 
stopped. We're stopping in the snow. So it was not gliding like you typically would when you um, push forward. So I took my skis off and we encountered some slush and my hands and feet started going through. So we started to crawl a little bit just to make sure that we wouldn't pop through and end up super wet because the slush was super wet. So that was an adventure all in itself too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And you're you're a person who's just very has a lot of mental fortitude and always keeps a positive attitude and like you said you're you guys are laughing about this yes (laughs) and where some people might be freaking out you know and uh you I mean when we got when you guys got back to the ice house after that had happened I mean I can't lie I was a little bit worried about you guys because the sun was going down and yes yes um but you were in good spirits. It wasn't like it had ruined your trip at all. Not at all. I mean, how could it? The sun was coming down. It looked beautiful out there. And I think the thing to take away from it is that we were safe. We were good. We weren't cold. We worked up quite a sweat, actually. <laughs> so there was really nothing to complain about. It was just fun. And it's really fun when you can do it with a team that you can have super deep conversations with yeah. when you're out there because no one else is out there. But then it's also fun because you can be as silly as you want and be as dorky as you want. And there's <laughs> not a soul out there except for maybe a bear watching you. <laughs> <laughs> and we even saw a bobcat on our way back down the trail. Yes. Wow. That was super cool for me. I have never seen a bobcat. And Whitney, when she's driving, she knows you got to pull aside so that I can try to get the best view and zoom in with it whether it's with my phone or with my binoculars to get a good view because you can't miss you can't miss that yeah (laughs) oh that's awesome yeah so how would you compare the experience of being in the boundary waters in the wintertime skiing versus in the summertime paddling and portaging That's a super good question, and it's kind of hard for me to answer because I really appreciate summer, and it's my favorite season, but I also... I have been really working towards embracing winter. I think it's so easy to stay at home and stay tucked under the covers, but there are so many fun things to explore and do in the winter that I think once you're out there, you really like realize how amazing nature is. Um, yeah, it's just super great to view it from a different perspective like we were talking about earlier, perspective is so important and amazing. And it just kind of makes you reflect on the different parts of life. And it makes you see the Boundary Waters from a different lens. And I really liked how the winter part of it was a little bit more quiet. Um, There wasn't as many noises in the woods. And I know that's something I'm super attuned to with my vision loss. Um, So it's just super quiet. And it has a different a different feeling to it. It feels very peaceful. I think the Boundary Waters all, always feel very peaceful to me, um, especially traveling from Minneapolis <laughs> up to here. They always feel peaceful, but winter felt especially peaceful. Um, the summertime felt very lively and there was an energy about it that was like very... It just kind of makes you feel alive and energetic and motivated to explore. Um, yeah. I get that. I totally yes. get yeah. that. Yeah, gaining energy from the woods and, and even just the sounds you hear and, and the way the air feels and the smells in the air. Um, 
And you guys, if I'm not mistaken, the trip you and Whitney and Abby took was in June last summer? Yes, it was. So it was still a little bit chilly. (laughs) Early June, right? Yes, yeah. (laughs) It still felt a little bit like spring to me. But it was so amazing. There was no one on the water. And I just really loved that. It was such a great time to reflect. And if you go paddling in the cities, it's so amazing because it's close to everything and it's very convenient but there's hundreds of people swimming or passing by or running by so it doesn't really feel private um and I really liked that about coming to the Boundary Waters last summer because like I said you can be goofy and wild and uh, I've always forget the name of this but it's You'll totally know, Chelsea, um, because Whitney has totally convinced you to do it before, where you um, put your feet on the sides of the canoe. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of a tradition. Like, there's a a tradition of the Gunflint Trail at the Gunflint Canoe Races of gunnel pumping. Um, (laughs) And so, and what Whitney and I grew up doing. So we, Whitney and I grew up um, paddling on Rice Lake on our grandparents' cabin or cottage. And there's a canoe race there too. And the canoe race tradition that involves standing on the gunnels is just gunneling, we call it. And pretty much you stand on the gunnels and you grip your toes <laughs> as hard as you can. And then you like paddle like hell to across, <laughs> to cross the finish line. So were you gunneling? You were standing we, on the gunnels? Yeah, we were gunneling and we tried it on Lake Nokomis in Minneapolis. And it's pretty funny because we got some pretty funny reactions from people (laughs) especially people who are sailing um there's a ton of boats on that lake so we didn't want to do it too much and get in other people's way so when we did it in the boundary waters it was super fun because we could kind of just be as wild and as loud as we wanted to especially like it's sometimes hard when you're falling off and it's hard to be quiet and not alarm everyone around you in Minneapolis but it was super fun because we were like just going for it in the boundary waters and it didn't really matter if you fell in or how silly you looked when you fell in you weren't worried that people were watching you or anything like that yes be your full authentic self yeah and I know like one of the rules in the boundary waters is not to be disruptive and I know you guys are very respectable about that too yes you say it with it like like you you aren't just yelling and being too crazy. I know you're not. Yeah, we're not being obnoxious by any means. But when you splash in the water, you don't have to worry about the way you look or any judgments anyone might put on you. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me what the future looks like for you, Rachel, in terms of coming back and recreating in the Boundary Waters. Yes. So I am super excited because last summer was my first trip out and I have now got to experience the winter, but the winter has made me very excited for the summer. (laughs) Um, I really want to check out Rose Lake and Rose Falls. I've heard a lot about that and just how beautiful it is. I also would like to go back to the places that we paddled last summer Um, we saw a really cool campsite that was up high overlooking a lake. And I just loved that. I thought it was super cool that it was the only campsite on the entire lake. Just so like quaint and cute. And 
I can only imagine the view from up there. So I would love to do that. But I also would like to explore some new places um, with you, Chelsea. I think that would be really great. I know that you expressed that you'd like to do a little bit more exploring and I would totally be down for that. Heck yes, it's a plan, Rach. (laughs) I guess my last question for you is, you know, some of these places, like you said, Rose Falls and... um, the campsite you're describing. I know which one you're describing. I'm not going to give it away. But um, I don't want it to be reserved. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you, didn't you guys say that somebody pretty much just like, they looked like they'd been there all summer? Oh my gosh. It looked like someone had been living there and I was so jealous. I was like, that is the summer setup. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but I guess my question for you is, so you, when you go out and you look at these big vista views of the boundary waters and you said you were describing the sunset last night and how beautiful it was what is that experience like for you in terms of how you experience it with your visual impairment yes that's an awesome question I know for me it's different than everyone else and I think that's something I cherish is that I'm having a completely different experience yeah I know my eyes are pretty sensitive to light, so I think sunsets are pretty awesome for me because it's not, I love the sun during the day, but the sunset is just eases the eyes in so many ways because it's beautiful, but also because it's not like always super bright and in your face. Not always, but (laughs) last night it was so gorgeous because it was a little bit blurred from some clouds and some overcast, but it just looked so beautiful. And something I really cherish is like the sounds and something I really liked last night is that it was just so quiet and so peaceful. I haven't gotten out of the cities or the busyness of the cities in so long so I just loved that and that's exactly what I needed to just like refill my cup and just feel that joy and feel refreshed again wow I like that sunsets are easy on the eyes yes to the high noon sun in the day um well Rachel I just can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast you have such an awesome way of sharing your experience and embracing life to the fullest yes thank you guys so much for having me it's been so fun to get to know you guys and hear about your experiences as well thanks rach well we will look forward to our canoe adventure this summer and and just in the meantime all the great skiing we get to do yes yes (laughs) awesome thank you Matthew uh there's there's the episode man Rachel and Chelsea your conversation with John and it's so nice to just kick, kind of kick back a little bit and, and hear these stories and uh just reflect on on being out in the woods and hear what the wilderness does and means and I'm feeling good about this episode man I, I feel a lot calmer afterward I don't know yeah yeah it's amazing how how I don't know, therapeutic it is just to kind of settle into uh, the familiarity of of the wilderness and what that gives us right now. It's really nice. Yeah, Matthew, for sure. And uh, as we've said here throughout the episode now, we are going to be releasing information specific to 2020 recreation in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness in 2020, as well as Quetico Provincial Park for the upcoming paddling season. 
Those will be independent short tracks, uh, news and information shared right here on the podcast from the sources themselves, uh, not just uh, our thoughts or anything. This will be conversations, recordings, and interviews with the superintendent of Quetico Park as well as uh, the Gunflint District Ranger. So we will be getting that out here soon in, in the month of April, definitely ahead of the the paddling season largely at least in many people's minds starts in may so we'll we'll be sharing that soon and that's what we got today matthew uh, uh so nice to connect with you having you know it's a different format even for us you've been on the phone here today as we've d- done the introductions here and, and recorded the podcast episode together but uh i can sense your presence and i can sense that you're uh, excited for for what's to come no matter what it is Exactly, Joe. And I think right now more than ever, I'm really super grateful to have uh, these formats to connect with our community uh, across the country and the world. Uh, We still get to share time and space together uh, from far away. And I think now more than ever, I'm just so grateful for our paddling community. I can feel you all out there, too. as usual, send us your thoughts, send us your uh, comments, uh, send us your stories uh, to either joe at wtip.org or podcast at gmail.com. And uh, also you can always rate the podcast right on your uh, podcast app. All right. And want to give a shout out to North Star Canoes for their continued support, Matthew, of the podcast, as well as Paragus. Uh, outdoor shop in Ely. We know uh, Steve's been uh, dealing with a lot over there here at the start of the 2020 season, too. So thanks to them for supporting the episode, both of them, and and they've got a partnership as well. So thanks to all our sponsors here making the podcast what it is. We are continuing along, Matthew, and uh, if if we can pretend, just pretend you're on the west end of Windchill, and I'm on the east end right now. Uh, I'm waving at you, man. I'm waving at you, Matthew. <laughs> hey, Joe, I see you through this long telescope. I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're going to get through to the other side. Out in the night, the waves beat the shore. You can hear them pounding. You can hear them roar. Oh, roll me. Rock me. You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light Thank you.